The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... To the two-man power trip of wrestling, your host JP John Paz with me today, a very special guest, a former ECW original, a former WWF, WWE superstar. He is, of course, a member of the Blue World Order, Mr. Blue Meanie. Blue Meanie, welcome back to the hey, two-man power up? trip. How you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on your toes there. Uh, oh, thanks for no having problem. me. Hey, no problem. So what's going on in your world? What's the, the latest with uh, the Blue Meanie? Oh man, just, uh, staying busy. You know, I still do appearances here and there. Uh, I got a podcast of my own mind of the meaning, which drops every Monday morning, wherever you get your, uh, fine podcasts. Uh, we're also on YouTube, youtube.com slash mind of the meaning, uh, doing that, doing appearances, uh, doing a little bit of everything, you know, so, uh, staying busy. What are you talking about on the podcast? Is it wrestling or you, you're, you're going all over the place. You're going all over the map. Uh, I like to think I have, um, you know, the, the, the ability to, you know, just talk about a little bit about everything, you know? Uh, so our, our motto is mind and meaning where we talk about movies, music, sports, and tons and tons of useless knowledge, you know, always joking. You know, I have, I'm the king of useless knowledge. I got all this knowledge that I can't make money with any of it, but <laughs> so I figured, Hey, well, let's start a podcast about it but yeah we talk about wrestling we talk about life we talk about sports we talk about you know uh, music movies and whatever comes to mind we just stay away from uh the taboo stuff like politics and religion because nothing good comes from that so uh you know just um you know just trying to you know have an outlet just to uh it's like two guys just bullshitting like we're doing today <laughs> yeah love that yeah exactly yeah. And it's funny it's like you, you know you have all this knowledge like i don't know what to do with it right yeah what am i gonna do with this thing yeah i think i'm the only person who still knows about the movie three o'clock high and uh how much i, I still enjoy it to this day so hopefully there's there's some people out there who uh like uh random 80s movies or you know random 80s music or you know i'm a kid of the 80s anyway but i mean we talk about wrestling we talk about a little bit of everything you know just uh you know, I don't want when it comes to podcasting, there just seems to be genres for everything. Uh, and my, 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 my biggest fear was, you know, people are always like, oh man, you got stories. You should, you should do a podcast. And my biggest fear is paint myself into a corner and just stick into one thing. 
you know, I could just talk about wrestling, but man, that's going to force me to watch some uh, wrestling when, you know, and during the lean times, you know, if, if wrestling's bad and I, you know, I have to sit there and review it. I don't want to be, you know, put a gun to my head and say, oh, well, now I got to watch wrestling every week. You know, yeah. sometimes I want to watch it. Sometimes, you know, I want to watch the Phillies or the Eagles or, you know, just whatever comes to mind. You know, I got a, you know, uh, is that a, I got ADD. So it's just like, you know, uh, this, whatever comes to mind, you know, uh, my, my co-host Adam Bernard usually, you know, does the typical intro. And he said, "Me, what's on your mind?" And whatever was on my mind at the time is what we start talking about. But we have, you know, conversations have ins and outs and side roads and all that stuff. But you know, I I I take pride on the fact that I can talk a little bit about everything. Yeah, you mentioned uh, '80s movies randomly. I mentioned this movie to somebody the other day. They had no idea what I was talking about. Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, with uh, Mickey Rourke and uh don johnson right yes and big john stud yeah oh i didn't even know big john stud was in that yeah yep he plays the bartender he's kind of he's a little bit bigger um a little bit you know obviously he, he gained some weight post wrestling but uh yeah i don't know i mentioned that to somebody i was just thinking when you said random 80s movies i was like how do people not know that movie that movie's great and there's a, a philly connection because there's a uh, a philly band called black eyed susan that did a they like end credit song on there it's uh dizzy dean davidson from uh britney fox he started a new band called black eyed susan and uh they had black eyed susan had like a first uh, there's a lineup and then he kind of disbanded and then um he got a whole new crew of people to be in the band and uh he got jeff cease from the black crows to be in the band and i had become friends with jeff through the black crows fan club called crow mafia off after the first album they had a, a fan club called crow mafia and when he left the black or left or fired whichever one you choose to believe i sent him a little um uh you know snail mail letter i was like hey jeff you know uh big fan of your work blah 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 good luck and i got a reply back hey man i'm uh, i just joined this band and philly called black eyed susan you should check it out and he wrote me like a handwritten like letter we just corresponded and i start going see start going seeing the band black eyed susan at a club called the cell block in ben salem pennsylvania long story short the opening band that night was the swamp candles who eventually would wind up becoming my some of my best friends and they did the bwo theme oh look at that so the swamp kid yeah i went to go see Black Eyed Susan wound up becoming friends with the opening act, the Swamp Candles, who uh, Joey Campbell, the guitar player and uh, creator of the band, uh, you know, we're still friends to this day. We were talking just a couple days ago. He wound up, when I was at Al Snow's Wrestling School in Ohio, he, he was just sending me like stuff of them just jamming in the garage. And there was one song in there. I was like, man, that's a wrestling song. And it wound up being the BWO theme. So when, you know, Paul was like, hey, we're doing the BWO. What kind of song? And, you know, the NWO had that, like, underground sounding. Yep. I was like, oh, dude, I got the song. 
and uh, the initial version of the BWO theme was, if you watch those early shows, it's just them playing in a in a practice space into a boombox, which is you can't get more underground than that. Yeah, really. And uh, once we did Raw, uh, once ECW evaded Raw, <laughs> we came out to that uh, playing into a boombox boombox version of the the BWO theme. Joey went, I think we'll go in the studio and record your real version. <laughs> so there's like. There's two versions of the BWO theme. Well, technically three because WWE did a knockoff version. How funny is that? You you should do like six degrees of separation, Kevin Bacon style. Because I just said Harley Davidson, the Marlboro. Then you went Black Crow, and then all of a sudden it got to the BWO theme. I'm like, you could probably do that with everything. That's amazing. A little bit. Oh, I'm one degree from Kevin Bacon because I was in the wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke was in diner with Kevin Bacon. Jeez, look at that. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> you should do six degrees of, of uh, separation meaning style. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. That's crazy. Wow, Meaning-ish. that's amazing. And the BWO theme. Remember when Scott Hall would joke around that the NWO theme was the porno theme? You know, like the BWO, he had to have that flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. My friend Joe is like, he's like, uh, that's our biggest hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had a lot of great songs. They are a lot like... Swamp Camps were like Aerosmith meets the cult, you know, a uh, little bit of cheap trick in there. And that they were great. Still, to me, they still are. I still listen to their their music. You know, I got a whole, I got pretty much everything they did. But uh, yeah, it, it was pretty cool that, you know, um, he sent me a message the other day because he watches the show. My friend Joey Campbell loves the show Letter Kenny. He's like, dude, and he sent me a clip because Leonard Kenny did a whole riff on wrestlers they're you know saying uh, riffing on different wrestlers names it's like you know uh squirrely dan is a big wrestling fan you know uh he's like no way i, I sent him a link because uh he had, uh, he, he had bought like a bwo shirt he's like holy shit do you think he's heard the bwo theme i was like i guarantee he's heard the bwo theme it, it just made his day yeah man just thinking back to just uh just the bwo in general How'd you get into ECW? Because I, you know, I know you train Monster Factory stuff, but like, how do you actually get in? Is it just Raven bringing you in? Well, I, initially, I trained at Al Snow's Wrestling School in Ohio, and then uh, I was there. I lived there for like a year, and um, I was doing a lot of his school shows, and then uh, Dan Sever would run shows and use us, and Sabu would do shows in Michigan and and use his, Al students. I was work wrestling every Thursday in Indianapolis, Indiana, for uh, Mike Samples and uh, Circle City Wrestling. And I was like, you know, you've been here for like a year, and uh, it's it's all well and good that you know you've been getting, you know, bookings, working our shows. But you know, if you want to be a, a a true pro wrestler, you gotta go out there and just hustle. You know, uh, go out there, move back home you know, and learn how to get your own bookings, you know, it's like perfect. So I, I drove back home. My family was living in Atlantic city at the time. And, um, I drove back from Lima, Ohio to Atlantic city. And I just start showing up places, you know, start, uh, I, I was sending letters out, tapes out, photos out, I was making my own little, you know, press, press kit. And, uh, I always say there was this, uh, set of three shows there was a show in baltimore there's showing a show in west virginia and then finally uh 
there's a guy in Pittsburgh named Norm Connors who uh, was running Steel City Wrestling, and he was like the first promoter outside of Al Snow's, you know, booking me that like uh, really gave me a, a chance. I, I just showed up with Dan Sever one day. He's like, uh, "You want to do something?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." So uh, when when I had moved back home, we moved from Atlantic City to Philly. You know, uh, my grandfather passed, so my grandma was like, ah, let's go back to Philly, be with the family. It's like, sure. So uh, I said, I called Norm one day. I was like, hey, man, I know you got a couple shows this weekend. Um, I know they're full, but I'm just coming out just to hang out. And he's like, all right, yeah, whatever. So I went from Philly to Pittsburgh, and um, Norm threw me a bone. And, like, um, he was like, yeah, you, you can, you know, work uh, first night. I didn't do anything the second night. He, he gave me a match the first night. And on the, that Baltimore show, the West Virginia show, and the Pittsburgh show was Stevie, Stevie Richards and Raven. And I didn't even know who was on the show. So I showed up and Stevie, and Ray, and Stevie Richards and Raven were on that Pittsburgh show. I was like, ah, oh. you know, we, we had become familiar with each other. And um, uh, I did my match. Uh, I was wrestling the, the local uh, uh, wrestling veteran, uh, T.C. Reynolds, who was doing the Batman gimmick. And, um, you know, I, I had my match on to the back and, uh, I knew, I knew Raven was wrestling somebody I had trained with, uh, a guy named, uh, Crippler Ray Roberts, local guy from uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. So I, I went and watched that match. And when Raven was coming back from his match, I went, oh, uh, a good match. Uh, I, I enjoyed your match, Raven. Not that he needed my validation. You know, I was like, oh, I really liked your match. He's like, oh, good. Hey, nice moonsault. I went, oh, Raven watched my match. And yeah. uh, I was like, oh, cool. So that night, you know, uh, me, Stevie Raven, were all crashing over at Norm Connor's house, you know, like frat boy style. Like we're all just hanging out, having a couple of beers and just crashing on couches and shit, just hanging out. And the next day we went to lunch and, um, that's where Raven came up with the, you know, pitched the idea for me of being Stevie's lackey. Cause you know, Stevie was Raven's lackey, but they wanted to have a lackey to a lackey kind of like the Russian doll, you know, Russian doll, yes. one of the you know, big yeah. ones, small, small, small. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. He's like, yeah, we have an idea for uh, Stevie's lackey. Uh, we have a guy in mind. He's really big. Uh, but he, he's not a wrestler. He can't bump. He can't do anything. But you're a big guy. You can do moonsaults. It's like, but yeah, you know, I was like, absolutely. He's like, but you have to wear a half shirt and daisy dudes. I was like, I'll be in ECW, right? He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm in. I'm fine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. So uh, I do the initial debut, October 95. And uh, I had to re debut because that footage disappeared because of the fire angle between uh, Mick Foley and uh, Terry Funk all that footage disappeared so uh my debut didn't air so uh next month and within between october and november we went back out to pittsburgh for norm just to work on our like, like have it me and stevie do some uh, tag team stuff to get used to working together and um you know uh in that in that in between is when he came up with the idea for the blue meanie and he uh was like <laughs> we're driving from pittsburgh back you know to raven's house it's like, uh, do you ever see the uh, Yellow Submarine? Where, uh, did you ever see the Yellow Submarine? I was like, yeah, when I was a kid. You know, I uh, remember Blue Meanie. I was like, yeah, sort of, kind of, sort of. He's like, 
you're going to be the blue meanie. Uh, you're going to want to paint your whole body blue, but just do your hair. You know, he's like downplaying it. You know, he's, he's building it up, but you know, he's like, oh, but do your hair for now. I was like, I'm going to be in ECW. He's like, uh, yeah. I was like, I'm in. You don't have right. to, you, don't, you have to sell it. So, um, me, Stevie, and Raven went to, went to Raven's house. We got in at like four in the morning and then, uh, we all crashed and then, uh, we waited for Blockbuster Video open to open, and we went and run at the L Submarine. And me and Raven watched the L Submarine. Me, Stephen, and Raven watched the L Submarine, and uh, you know, just fast forward to the Blue Meanie parts. And when he he would ha- have me watch watch and study the mannerisms, all that stuff, and uh, eventually, you know, he would sit in a, sit on a chair in the middle of the living room. I'd have to stand up. Blue Meanie, do a promo on toilet paper. Do a promo on this, that, that. and then character. I would have to, you know, uh, cut a promo about whatever he threw out in character, which is, you know, pretty genius because that's what they do down at the uh, performance center. Now they're called Skull Sessions, where like whoever's running them yells out the top and do a promo on this, and you got to do a promo. So, and that's where the you know, you know, that's where I got noticed for ECW, and that's where you know the Blue Meanie was born. So cool that Raven's just like, have you ever seen Yellow Submarine? You're like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just like, where did that come from? You know what I mean? Like, well, what's going on in his mind? You know, speaking of like the mind going everywhere, like, what was on his mind? I, I guess just from, yeah, I guess just from uh, my mannerisms in the ring and me, me being a big guy and uh, the, you know, the blue meanie being like a big round guy. He was just like, oh my, because I, you know, I was, I would do, a lot of the blue meanies, blue meanie is just you know uh, me with with the volume turned up, and uh, I was always like a, a little bit of a loud, obnoxious heel, just like you know a loud, obnoxious laugh. You know, you know if you want to see uh, the, <laughs> me be loud and obnoxious, watch me watch the Dallas Cowboys lose a game. That's that's <laughs> like Christmas morning for me, but. Um, yeah, right there with you on that one. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like uh, Robert De Niro, Cape Fear, that ah, <laughs> you know, just cackling, you know. But uh, yeah, he saw that he he. I guess he had just recently watched that movie, and uh, thought of me. But he saw the meaning. He's like, oh, that's great. And uh, you know, the early on, the blue meaning character was like letter to letter to the law of that character. But eventually, once we start doing parodies. And like comedic stuff, more of me started leaking into the character and just became me with the volume turned up. Wrestling business is so crazy to me because it's like some, you know, people think it's like, oh, this great plan. Sometimes it's just like organic. Like Raven sees you at a show, sees you do a moonsault. You know what I mean? Like you just happen to be on the same show as him. And then it's like, oh, I, I, you know, I could see something in this guy. I like this guy. I want to use this guy. And then Yellow Submarine comes to his mind. And then, you know, you become Blue Meat. It's just so weird wrestling. It's not like this great plan. Sometimes it's just like spur of the moment you see the guy and something clicks. That's the beauty of it. You know, yeah. it's, it should be wrestling should be shouldn't be too planned out right you know or it shouldn't be overproduced you know <clears throat> you should go into it with like you know your bullet points and you know plan of attack of where you want to finish up but the rest of it should just kind of be free free flow and just because you never know how a crowd's going to react you never know you know you know what they're going to think or what they're going to do you might want somebody go into a situation, a baby face, and the crowd's not feeling, and that guy has to 
on a spot kind of take over and be a heel, you know? I've been in that century situation plenty of times, you know. You know, pressing was, you know, basically born in a, out of the carnivals and somebody two guys would go to the ring. The fans chose chose who they liked, they chose who they hated. And the the, the two guys working in the ring would just go from there. You know, you got to be able to, you know, think on your feet and stuff like that. That's why, you know, that, that's why I love about wrestling. That's why I've always loved about it. You know, now when it comes to TV, you got to be a little bit tighter because of, you know, commercials and all that good stuff. And you don't want to go over time because, you know, you wind up screwing somebody else out of their time, you know. But if, as far as pro wrestling in general, I just, I love the improv of it. I love the, uh, you know, not knowing what you're about to go into aspect of it so yeah I, it's it's definitely the, the, the thing i love about it but that and you know i love you know wrestling i love stand-up comedy and i have a lot of friends who are in the comedy i'm like man i, I admire what you guys do you know just you go in there you, you go to tell a joke and if it doesn't land you gotta kind of just think on your feet and hopefully come with back with a uh, witty retort or if you know somebody heckles you kind of have to shut that guy down before you know the rest of the crowd joins them you know so you know that's it's the, it's the beauty of what we do i saw um a great comedic set i mean this had to be maybe eight years ago or so jerry seinfeld was the headliner but he you know he did a half hour so it was, it was shorter but colin quinn was also on it there was a bunch of other good guys like lewis black bunch of guys and um Colin Quinn was kind of like bombing a little bit. He goes, well, out of this crew, he goes, somebody had to bomb. And then like, you know what I mean? Like got the crowd behind him. Total improv. Like he obviously didn't plan on that saying that, but then everybody's cracking up. He goes, well, somebody had a bomb out of this crew. He goes, it, it had to be me. Yeah. Colin's great. And he's, oh, know, he's so funny. Such a sweetheart. You know, I, I got to meet him once and he was like the nicest guy ever. You know, do you think, though, in wrestling, like nowadays, maybe that Vince isn't there, maybe it's going to be a little bit different, but do you think they maybe break some of that? Like, I'm reading off a teleprompter, robotic, I got to memorize my promo kind of thing. Because to me, the best promos are always, like you say bullet points, but like, I can't picture Steve Austin going, well, Jeff Jarrett or, you know, Shawn Michaels. Like, you know, really, you figure he's just going to be Steve Austin and he's going to have bullet points. He's going to say it. Isn't that better for wrestling just to kind of not off the cuffs? Because I know you said you got to keep your time and you don't go over stuff, but it's got to be bullet points, right? Yeah. It just, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, the, it's, it, Triple H is a little bit of the old, old guard, a little bit of the new guard. Um, you know, he broke in with Killer Kowalski. So he's, he's, got that he's got a lot of old school on him but like he knows the corporate side of it but he also knows that you know he, he's got to you know breathe new life into this product we saw a lot of what you know his vision was with you know the original nxt and uh there's a lot of people in that company waiting for the day where he was people were rooting for the day when you know he was going to take over and you know that's not a shot at Vince or anything like that, but you know um, we all knew the the formula of Monday Night Raw for the last you know twenty something odd years. You know, okay, yep. welcome to Raw. Okay, opening promo to set up for the main event, and then everything else. You know, you know everything. You know the opening promo weaved in and out throughout the show till you got to the main event, and that was it. And it's like you can, you know. You can you can you basically predict 
you know, the format of we knew the format of the show where now he's, you know, if, you know, the show opens up with a brawl, you know, Oh shit, what's going on here? You know, just a lot of excitement, a little bit, a lot, a coat of new paint, you know, just a, a little bit more freshness to it. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I th- and you know, he's just getting started. So, uh, I think, you know, it's going to be better for the, 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 the product, you know, build new stars, still have some action and, uh, you know, just, uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. You know, I, I, I'm a big triple H fan, you know, I got to spend, be around him for two years when I was up there from 98 to 2000 now, and I've seen him out in the wild, you know, you know, run into him in public and, uh, it's just a good dude, you know? he's a fellow metal head you know we talk about music and stuff like that but you know he's a great guy he's, he's got a good got a good idea for the, the a good mind for the business and uh i see um, nothing but good things and it's it's great to see who's coming back and it's good to see who wants to stay now yep and it's uh it's it's crazy to see who you know see the town that wish they had never talent who wish they would have stuck it out and stayed around you know had they known triple h was about to take over yep i was just talking to somebody recently and you know they're somewhere else now but they were basically saying like damn like they love triple h you know what i mean they absolutely love triple h so they're like oh man so i don't know if it's like one of those things where they wish they're out of the contract or what they didn't exactly say but you could tell they they wanted to work for a triple h not vince yeah and you hear that and it's just like oh man but you know uh you know, I don't think Triple H is going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, you know, it, I mean, things are going to be interesting. You know, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of things done that probably wouldn't weren't done under Vince. Maybe you know, nods to the past. You know, uh, you know, the, there's you know stuff that you know they probably were going to do in the past, and Vince is like, oh, nobody wants to hear about the old days. But you know, we see Triple H doing the packages. You know showing the history of the intercontinental belt, the history yeah. of the United States belt, you know, showing the history of these belts and triple H is doing nods to the history of wrestling as well, where I think Vince was like, uh, we got to, you know, move forward where you can move, you can move forward while still acknowledging the past. And it makes those belts seem like more prestigious. Cause it's like, Whoa, video package. Well, what is this here? Even that few minutes U S title video package, when it was just like not a cold match, but you know, they were putting the match together with last year. You're like, well, okay. Like just a level of importance got raised. Even if it was a little bit, it, it was way better than when, when Vince had it, when Vince is like, Oh, just throw out the U S title. I mean, it was like, wow, this U S title defense tonight, you know, big deal. Yeah. yeah. And those were, yeah, those are always considered the worker man belt. You know, if you, uh, were worthy of winning, you know, the intercontinental or U S belt, you're pretty much next in line for the world belt, you know, whether, yeah. You're back, you know, when the United States title was with, you know, Crockett and WCW, you held that belt. Yeah. I always go, well, when back when I was reading press on inside, uh, press on illustrated. And, uh, you know, if you were the intercontinental or the U S champion, you were n- ranked number one, right below the world champion brother. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're important belts. They're important belts. They're character belts. You know, you know think of our, but I love the intercontinental belt because I love Don Morocco and, you know, Ooh, yeah. I love, I love Tito Santana, you know, to me, I, I always loved that belt, you know, just because of the guys who held it. 
the prestige just seemed like it was so much more important than I guess Triple H trying to bring it back to the days, especially if Roman's got both titles, the U.S. title and the IC title need to be elevated because they're probably going to main event a lot of Raws and SmackDowns. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's smart to do. You know, it, it gives people who might not be in the main event picture something to fight for, you know. You know what the the, the 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 main belt the world belt or universal belt or is busy over here so let's get the intercontinental and now the u.s you know because the u.s belt's been there since the, the merger you know give uh you know people in the rest of the card you know another reason to fight you know you know and and they're they're, they're perfect belts because you know just um you don't want get, to get too many belts you know because then it's just like you know, if everybody's got a belt, then belts really don't mean anything. So it's True. just, yeah, it's perfect to have, you know, the main belt, have the secondary titles, have a tag title, have a women's division, women's tag, you know, so, you know, everybody has a main title, secondary belt to fight for. I'm a, I, I'm a, I love tag team wrestling. Most of my career, I've been in tag teams. So I love the, uh, I love tag match. I love the psychology of the tag match and just stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, those belts are are perfect. Now, just getting back to ECW for a second, if I could rewind, Blue World Order, like the BWO. Obviously, when you first got in, the NWO didn't quite kick off yet. Now it's kicking off. Now it's kicking ass. When does the BWO kind of become like a thought in your head or maybe stevie said or, or nova and like let's put us three together we're a part of raven's nest if you will the the, the group with raven but it's like when when do we decide if we're going to do the bwo it just seemed like the natural uh evolution of what we were doing at the time uh me and stevie were doing parodies you know we were <clears throat> excuse me uh we initially started doing uh parodies with you know um we were the fabulous ones <laughs> And then, uh, you know, I was, I was doing a parody of Blue Dust. I was doing a parody of uh, Colonel De Beers. Stevie was, <laughs> uh, and we were the Blue, my, one of my favorites, the Blue Meanie Bloods, you know, with uh, Regal and Bobby Eaton. You know, I was yes. the Earl of Eating and uh, yes. stuff like that. And it was just like, it just, it seemed like a natural thing. You know, uh, we we're kind of like the weird Al Yankovic of wrestling where, you know, we we're doing a parody of the thing that was hot at the time. You know, I love the weird Al Yankovic on his albums. He would do the, the polka medley, you know, if, uh, if he didn't do a full parody of the song, he would work in bits and pieces of songs into a polka medley. So when we're doing all these parodies, it just made sense. You know, what's the hottest thing in wrestling at the time, new world order. And, uh, you know, over the years, you know, I, you know, I always told the story how I thought of it, but then, you know, I was reminded, you know, Bubba Ray Dudley kind of approached us too. It's like, these guys got to do the BWO. It just came down to, you know, the name, you know, you should be the new blue world. I was like, nah, nah, this blue world order. <clears throat> and, um, I remember one time I was just randomly talking to Al Snow. He was in WWE at the time. And, uh, I've some, you know, we're just bullshitting. You know, it's like, yeah, we're thinking about doing a parody, to, you know, the New World Order and call it the Blue World Order instead of the bad guy, I'm the blue guy and all that stuff. And like ideas I was thinking of, you know, until now he was popping for, I was like, well, maybe we're on to something here. And, you know, uh, you know, brought it to Raven. Uh, you know, I talked to Stevie, 
Stevie talked to Raven. We we both talked to Raven. This was a matter of uh, we. I went out, got the shirts made. Then uh, November, remember November to remember '96. One year after I debuted, we you know we debuted the BWO. You know, got the shirts made, and it was supposed to be a one night thing, and um, it's going to be a one night thing. And then we're going to on to the next thing. And but the uh, Todd Gordon and Paul heard the crowd reaction or like yeah i think uh we, i think we got something here and uh decided to have a run at it and they went and got the uh design for the uh, bwo shirts uh the official ones that they, they would wind up selling and it became the bwo shirt became one of the top selling shirts in ecw history and uh you know i was talking i would talk to the uh the merchandise girl at the end of the night, she's like, "Yeah, we sold like 200 a night, you know, something like that." Wow, it's crazy. Um, I didn't see a dime of it, but you know, I didn't give a shit. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I was I was in the business a year and a half. You know, uh, when Isubi found me, and then you know, BWO comes in two and a half years into my uh, career. You know, we're on TV every week, and with TV, you know, when you're on TV every week, you know, that's good exposure and. That exposure led to me eventually going to WWE. So, um, you know, and, and still to this day, people, you know, I mean, we're talking about it right now, you know, in two th- the year 2022, still talking about it. And yep. it's, it's one of my, uh, you know, my, one of my proud moments, the fact that we're still talking about it and people still are interested. And so, uh, you know, it, it was like a six month run. It led to uh, Stevie being the main event of the first ever, you know, ECW pay-per-view. So, uh, and the cool thing is the NWO guys were, were cool with it. <clears throat> you know, uh, eventually I would run into X-Pac and Paul and Nash. And I was like, Hey man, hope, hope you don't mind. They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, they always talk about like how, I, you know, they would have a show and they would go find a bar and put on the TV and try and find wrestling. And, it would see ECW on TV and uh, Scott Hall told me he used to rib Kevin Nash. He was like, well, it's the blue world order and the blue meanies me. So I should be the leader of the NWO, you know, just yeah, joking around, you know, stuff like that. But yep. you know, it, it's, it's, it's very cool. You know, there's thousands of wrestlers, there's thousands of gimmicks and some are remembered, some are forgotten. And, uh, I'm very fortunate that people still remember stuff we did. Pretty crazy though. Like you guys doing the parodies, it's supposed to be just a one-off. And like you said, 25 years later, you're still talking about it. Like pretty crazy to think about it. Yeah. And and it's awesome, man. Just, um, you know, especially ECW fans. I always compared, I said, you know, um, that ECW crowd was a lot like you know you hear stories about somebody going to perform at the uh, apollo theater you know and if you were good they liked you if they hated you they booed you out of the fucking building and uh you know those ecw fans could just easily shit on me when i, I debuted and you know could they could have killed my career right then and there you know so uh i think it also helped that i, I used to be one of them you know, uh, if you watch a lot of those early ECW shows, you can catch glimpses of me in the crowd. You know, uh, and a month before I did, de- I debuted in October 
95. But like, I think a month before that, it was the uh, debut of Rey Mysterio against Psychosis. And uh, I'm in the bleacher. You see the back of my head and the bleachers when they pan back to show the crowd. You see my 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 head. I'm like, oh, there I am. I was just watching um, Sabu Cactus Jack from Hostile um, City Showdown, and you can see me in the in the in the bleachers if you're looking for me. You know, I I drove back from Ohio to uh, Philly. I would tr- I, I would drive back from Ohio to visit family. So I went to uh, wrestling school. My uh, grandma called and said my grandfather was had cancer so i was like and, but he said but don't come home don't move back it's, you saved your money you wanted to do the wrestling do it you know yep and uh but i would purposely a drive back to see him and then b on my way out of town catch the ecw show on my way back to ohio you know watch the ecw arena show and then after the show drive through the night back into ohio and uh back you know get back to school but um yeah we i drove back for a south city showdown and uh me and and one of my uh co-students were in the crowd during that so but you know i think that's another reason why i called on you know i was in the crowd for those early shows you know i heard what the fans talked about what they liked what they hated and stuff like that so when I I got a chance to perform there, I kind of it's kind of like insider trading, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I and I'm I'm grateful that that ECW crowd took to me and accepted me. So you're like uh, one of their own. Yeah, they, dude. When you know when when I debuted November to remember '95, and Stevie brought me over to guardrail, that was so symbolic. You know that was. I'd been wrestling for a year, a year, year and a half, but Stevie bringing me over to guardrail from the front row over to guardrail into the ring was very symbolic of my life from going from going from being a fan to being a pro wrestler. Yeah. And they took to, you know, they took to you cause you're one of them. I mean, that's great. One of us, one of us. One yeah. Of- <laughs> yeah crazy so when you you're obviously in ecw you guys are over like rover bwo is over like rover why jump to wwf i mean and how does that happen just seemed like a natural i didn't want to leave but i had to um a lot of people say a lot of people in wrestling businesses go well i paid my dues well yeah wrestlers paid their dues but families pay their dues as well yeah um my you know my my mom, my grandma, my grandfather raised me. And, you know, I started my wrestling career. I started my journey into wrestling. My grandfather got sick. Uh, he had worked in the chemical factory for like almost 30 years. Got asbestosis in his lung. And, uh, you know, I watched, you know, he was my hero. He was, he was Popeye, you know, and just, I called him Pop. But, you know, he was like literally, you know, my hero, just like a, big stocky muscular guy who worked his fingers to the bone to support everybody and when he passed you know there was that uh, there was a couple you know that like a lean year year and a half where it's like you know my mom and grandma are still supporting my wrestling habit so an opportunity you know al snow approached me about going to wwe for the job squad Man, do I want to leave ECW? No, I love ECW. I love the crowd. There's 
no there's no way to it's it's hard to explain it you know ecb it's 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 a it's a phenomenon it's a feeling it's a it's a mindset but also i knew i had to you know pay back the people i had to take care of the people who were taking care of me and um you know ecb i wasn't making that much but towards the end i was doing okay uh bam bam bigelow was one of the the guys early on who pulled me aside it's like you know let's talk to Paul about getting a raise and stuff like this and you know bam bam was helped me a lot you know he saw i was trying to be the agile big man he was like you know uh hey if you go to the gym make sure you got a strong set of legs you know you know you're a big guy but you don't want to get blown up in the ring all right bam bam so i would go to do that hey meanie uh, go talk to paul about getting a little bit more pay you know i did it paul he gave me a raise so <clears throat> towards the end of my ecw run we were doing two to three sometimes four shows a week and those you know extra shows it was bringing in extra money i was doing okay wasn't doing bad but uh you know the opportunity came and i i had to take it so uh i always i you know one of the greatest moments of my life is al said hey you want to be a part of uh well he, he was like at first he was like hey are you under contract i was like no he's like there was an opportunity to work in wwe kind of in the job squad would you be opposed to it? i was like I, i'd do it yeah yeah i'd love to do it work with al my coach right. my, my best friend my big brother you know when i moved to ohio i was like you know it was my first first time away from the you know the family you know as i i moved you know, his school was my college, you know, so his family became my family. You know, I was living in the school. And so, you know, for Easter, you know, his family would send over an Easter basket. They would have, you know, send over meals and stuff like that. So, you know, I love his family to this day. You know, we were still in contact and all that stuff. But, you know, uh, to work with him, you know, I worked, you know, I worked with him in ECW when he came back to do the, the stuff with the head. And then he went back and absolutely I, i'd love to you know and the job squad which it's oddly enough it it was a locker room joke you know in wwe he would joke about it, but he came over to ecw he caught on with the ecw locker room he's all we all wore shirts we all had to we were throwing out the uh styrofoam heads we slapped the job squad stickers on that and throw them out to the crowd so he approached me i was like he was like uh you want to do it? i was like sure so uh after i hung up with him bruce pritchard called me uh all right just need your information this that and the other thing uh all right uh we're we'll be in philly this sunday show up at 11 a.m is a rare early show because i get there's a double head the building was double booked between wwe and i want to say the philadelphia flyers and you know there was a flyers game that night so they had to do sunday night heat early that day all right show up at 11 a.m i was like all right and uh, the, one of the greatest things of my life was hanging up with Bruce Pritchard, uh, walking about 10 to 15 feet from my bedroom to the living room. And I looked at my my grandmom and my mom. I said, put all the bills in my name. They went, what? You know, because they knew I was making it while I was making these. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, put all the bills in my name. Why? I just, I'm going to the WWF. My grandmom, her knees buckled. She, you know, she, my mom, my mom was always says she was a little bit like Edith Bunker. She was like, Oh, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> oh man, I love doing her voice. Um, yeah, just to watch the reaction, and then uh, yeah, my grandma didn't last much longer after that. She lived for another two years, but I made sure her last two years was the best two years of her, the rest of her life. Nice. And that's yep. what that's what WWE afforded me that opportunity to do, and uh, you know, it, you know, I had to, I just, you know, just do what I had to do for my family. That's great, though. Like that, you're able to, and not that you're leaving ECW is great, but like that you get to go with WWF and make the money. I mean, that's great. I get to get a contract and obviously make more money than you've ever made before. So it's pretty cool yeah. that Al was thinking of you. Yeah, yeah, it, it was cool that. And, and 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 credit to Vince Russo too. Um, Vince Russo, big fan of WWE, and they were expanding their programming. They needed more talent, you know. With uh, they were doing Raw, but now they're doing Sm- uh, not Smack. They weren't doing SmackDown yet. They were doing Sunday Sunday Heat, yeah, Sunday Heat, different S. Um, and they needed more talent, and uh, that's the good thing about Vince Russo. You know, he made sure everybody on the show meant something. So, you know, and he, you know, him and, uh, they were doing the job squad. He, initially they wanted to bring me in uh, as a parody to the nitro girls. Cause I was doing the dance gimmick. They wanted to bring me in as raw boy. <laughs> and that I got loused up somehow that got, you know, the wires got crossed up on that. And, uh, I eventually, I eventually wound up doing it in, uh, WWE again, years, you know, a little bit later, but, uh, the opportunity rose arose again to um you know go to the wwe uh i i took it and uh you know uh you know it was it was only two years but it, it was great it was a great two years because you know i got to see the you know i got to a take care of my family b be a part of a lot of cool things i got to be a part of wrestlemania in my hometown wrestlemania 15 in my hometown of Philly. So I debuted for ECW in Philly, debuted for WWE in Philly, had my uh, WrestleMania moment in Philly. So, you know, it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty uh, storybook. Like if you did a movie about it, people are like, ah, that's too corny, you know, but right. yeah, but it's real, real life. Yeah. Yeah. Very fortunate. I was at WrestleMania first at 15 first row, actually. Really? Yeah, there was a part where Austin and The Rock are fighting in the crowd. They both get thrown on me and my buddy, and you know we're like trying to you know help them up. That's awesome great. stuff. My buddy sells a picture. He's wearing his camouflage Austin hat. I got my stupid Rock Hawaiian shirt on because we were like dueling. <laughs> Dude, it's, it was so cool looking at that crowd and you seeing people like you know from the neighborhood and stuff like that. And I, I was like, you know, I might not, I might not be in this match, but I'm going to make sure they say my name a lot. So I would right. buy the. Uh, I would run by the uh, announce table and like shoot Jerry Lawler look, and he'd be like the blue meanie running around here like a maniac or whatever he was saying. But you know, it was cool, you know. And you know, it's weird. You wake up in Philly. Okay, I'm going to go down to the uh, well, it was the first Union Center now then, but it's Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo Center now. I'm just going to, you know, go down there, be part of WrestleMania, and then I'm sleeping in my bed, own bed at the end of the night. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then the next night we did a roll at the Meadowlands where Goldust won the uh, Intercontinental Belt. And then we, from there, we hopped on the plane and went over to uh, Germany and England for a couple days for a week. So that was like a whole whirlwind situation. 
you know yeah that's awesome did gold dust know about blue dust like beforehand or did, did maybe russo knew about it uh yeah he well gold dust knew about it because i I wound up going to a Jim Kettner show in Delaware just to hang out, uh, you know, and Goldust was on that show. This is when like WWE was letting talent. Yeah. Yeah. It. I remember because I used to go to local shows like Val Venus is at the Matawan high school or something. It's like, what the, the headbangers are at uh Raritan high school. Yeah. It's crazy. It, this is like during the lean years where it's like, yeah, all right, you can go make some, a little bit of extra money and stuff like that. You know, you would do TVs or whatever and go do a local indie. Yeah, uh, my Goldust was on the the Kettner show. I was like, "Hey, man, <laughs> just like with the NWO, hope you don't mind that blue dust." Oh no, yeah, and he he liked it. <clears throat> but when I went to uh, WWE, uh, they're kind of disbanding the Job Squad, and uh, I was like, "Man, I got I got to think of something." And uh, you know, at that time, Goldust had stolen Al Snow's head. You know, so I was like here's a perfect opportunity i went to venture so i was like hey you know goldust is the, the guy who plays mind games he stole al snow's head in ecw i was blue dust which was a parody of goldust what if i brought blue dust back and played mind games with goldust the guy you know as you know the guy who does the, plays the mind games i'll play mind games with the guy who plays mind games to get al snow's head back for al yeah and as I'm telling him, you can kind of see him like crossing, like, hmm. yeah. And then he went and pitched it, and they they ran with it. I was like, awesome. So, uh, and uh, what's cool is, you know, we we wound up having a match at uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which a lot of people bring up to me that bring that match up to me. Which, you know, going thinking back to that match with uh, Goldust at St. Valentine's Massacre, it's like we're working with a lot of issues his back uh goldust's back was tore up he had a real bad back he uh a lot of pain like when we when we went to have that match me goldust and uh bruce pritchard went into the uh, room to talk about the match we talk about the finish and Goldust was like i'm going to do my best my back is tore up so if you watch that match there's a lot of things i did to kind of like stall so goldust didn't really have to do anything like I powdered out. I acted like I was leaving and had Goldust come grab me, throw me back in the ring. This thing, so he didn't have to, like, A, pick me up, put me down. I didn't have to bump him that much on his back. We had a fun little match, and people still talk about that match. And I was like, wow, that's cool. You know, just because I think about all the things, you know, that could have went wrong or, you know, the things we were up against in that match. But we were able to tell a story that, Again, I'm surprised, you know, people still bring it up to me to this day. And us as fans, we had no idea. So you guys hit it really well, too. So you guys did a great job. Yeah. And uh, working with Goldust, uh, working with Dustin is a dream come true. You know, you know, he, great mind, you know, a great worker, funny, funny man. Just uh, being on the road with him was an adventure, just uh, in a good way, because, you know, he would just say things do things and just, just to pop the boys and you know it's and the fact that he's still going to this day is just, yeah just a testament he he looks great you know he's still he, he could still go it's crazy you watch aew sometimes i mean they he doesn't use they don't use them enough but when they do use them you're like holy shit that was the best match of the night every damn time it's amazing he's amazing yeah he, he 
he's he's a fail-safe option. You know, just yep. you want to have a good match, put Dustin out there, and he'll make anybody look good. No, no doubt. Now, just the, maybe that controversy, maybe not, but you go back to WBF for one night stand. JBL, did he take liberties? Did he not take liberties? I know so many because I've I've talked to JBL a few times, and he did. I don't know. To me, he seems like that old school kind of guy. But then he can get labeled a bully. But I guess it, depending on how you look at it, I don't think so. But I've had people say to me, "Oh, yeah, he was a bully. He looked looked what he did to me. And he, Stevie stuck up for Meany." And like, is any of that true? Is there a real controversy there? Or no. When I was in there from ninety to two thousand, you know, um, you know, John was there. It was the height of the Monday Night Wars. There's a lot of tensions, in, a lot of tension in the oh, locker yeah. room. Oh yeah, I was a new guy. Uh, a lot of times you get tested, and then in the ring, there there's times where I thought maybe you know there's some liberties being taken, you know, and there's some things you know said by backstage, things said on an airplane, you know, uh, and just in general. And you know, you get in the, in the ring, and you're like, man, look, I come from ECW. I'm used to getting hit hard, but holy shit, that, that was something, right? right? So, uh, and, and full disclosure, we're friends now. We're cool, you know? But, you know, there was a, a period, you know, between 98 and 2000, like, man, why is he fucking with me, you know? But, uh, you know, on my way out from uh, WWE, I did an interview with uh, Buck Woodward, I think he was with one wrestling at the time. And I don't think they had launched PW Insider yet. So I love DCW. I mean, I love that work for WWE, but I said JBL's a bully. I I think it's worth. I think the word is. I think I said JBL's an asshole. I mean, oh, okay. I, I said Bradshaw's an asshole because he was Bradshaw at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think my theory is. Uh. It's like the game of telephone or grapevine. And, you know, you tell one person one thing, he tells the next person, he tells the next person. And by the time it goes through the whole chain of command, by the time it got to Bradshaw, it probably, somebody probably, I'm sure somebody embellished a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. after the whole one night stand thing, uh, you know, I, I go back to the gorilla position, I'm all busted up and bloody. And he's standing there, you know, John was yelling at me, you were talking about me on the internet. All right. You know, okay. So I, it, it is a matter of, you know, between 98, 2000, I really, I was like, why does this fucking guy hate me? And then, you know, I said my piece and I think in between that people egged him on and then we get in the ring at one night stand and every, everything that happened happened. So, uh, uh, you know, I come back through the curtain at one, I stand and Johnny Ace is like, who said you could blade? Let's see. <laughs> I can't blade. Look at my face. I look like Rocky Dennis over here. You know, just swinging <laughs> lumped up. And yeah. I have one beer in this hand and I had another beer on my face to for the fucking try to stop the swell. And, you know, I ain't a blade. I get I, in that, in the, that gorilla position, I gave him like the cliff notes. This, that, the other thing. He's like, Oh, that's unacceptable. All right. And then, you know, John comes over and he's yelling, You talked about me on the internet. All right. All right. Yeah. So, uh, go home and, um, you know, I, I start getting pissed off about it, you know, thinking about it, you know, 
I, I, I rode, I rode there and rode home with, uh, Francine, Jim Molino, John Finnegan. And they're all like, dude, we were going to take you to the hospital. You know, dude, I was just the way I was talking and acting in the car. They're like, yeah, we got to get into a hospital. But I went home, woke up the next day, saw my face in the mirror. I was like, fuck this, fuck this shit. And I started, you know, talking about, it. I posted the photo, which got plastered everywhere. Uh, started writing blogs about it. You know, Hey, start venting. And, uh, it created a little bit of buzz and, uh, WWE is always, always about the buzz. So, uh, and that wasn't my intention. I was just legit, just venting. I was pissed because, you know, from, uh, the time I left WWE to up until when I stand, I call those my dark years because I went through a lot of weird shit in that period of time. And mentally I was battling depression and battling the loss of loss of my grandmom who had passed, you know, uh, went back to ECW and my grandmom had passed and just, I felt like I was just floating in the wind, just not knowing what my future was or what was going to be or anything. You know, you watch, you see a lot of photos of me from that time and I look nothing like the blue meanie. So it, when it came to, you know, start doing those ECW reunion shows with, uh, hardcore homecoming that friday before sunday i mean not sunday night before uh one night stand and then the initial one night stand those shows kind of brought me back to being who i was and as fucked up as the jbl situation was it kind of was it was a fucked up situation but there's a silver lining to it because it brought me out of that funk and i start realizing people care about me you know, I, I, I'd given up the notion. I was like, nobody gives a fuck about me, this, that, and the other. I was just battling myself a lot, you know, battling depression. So that happens. And then, um, I go home and I, I write blogs and, you know, uh, dreamer calls me and, uh, he's in talent relations. He's like, Meanie, uh, we want to, you know, bring you in, uh, BWO. This has nothing to do with JBL famous last words when I get to TV and they're like, Oh yeah, you're working JBL tonight. I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, do that one night stand Nova, who was also in talent relations in the office. I'd been talking about, I think we're going to bring the BWO back because Stevie was on velocity a lot and they're going to bring him over to the SmackDown roster. SmackDown's colors, blue and white. And, you know, have, and the BWL have not, he's like, I don't think Meanie would host. So I was like, let's bring it in for a couple shows, even, even if it's for a couple months. I'm down. All right. And then the JBL thing kind of expedited that. And, uh, you know, I, I get to, we get to, it was in Sacramento is a, a SmackDown Raw doubleheader, July 4th, 2005, I think. Um, uh, I get there and, you know, uh, I'm like, man, you know, they tell me the whole Johnny Ace tells me the deal. I'm like, fuck, this is a setup. I'm standing there and, uh, tri- speaking of triple H, triple H goes, walks over. He's like, uh, Mini, you look nervous. I was like, well, yeah, I was told I was being brought in, being brought in for the BWO. And I was told it had nothing about, I had nothing to do with JBL and, I find I find out I'm working JBL and this, that, and the other thing. I was like, it feels like 
feels like a setup. He's like, right. He goes, wait one second. And he walks off, comes back and he goes, come with me. And he takes me to uh, Vince's office. I was like, Oh, I, I, wow. I, I, I didn't know where I was finally w- walked in. There's Vince, you know, eating this thing. <laughs> hey, meanie, uh, go sit on the couch. You know, I'll be right with you. All right. And he's, you know, watching, uh, Hogan's no Hogan knows best. I can never say that. And, uh, this is when like Hogan knows best. It was just being, uh, it was in production and he's watching like daily clips or whatever, like preview whatever. he comes over and, uh, meanie, I, I, yeah, you seem to have a, is there, you know, he, he's, you know, you know, Paul tells me, uh, you don't feel safe. I was like, I told him everything I told told Vince everything I told Hunter, you know, I don't feel, uh, you know, I don't feel safe. I've, you know, this, that, and the other thing. It's like, meanie, if John does one thing to hurt you on purpose, he will be fired. You have my word. Okay. Uh, so then like I go out and then JBL comes up to me and goes, you want to go have a talk? I was like, absolutely. I'd love to have a talk, you know? Uh, and I, you know, it's, it's funny when you go to that, you're backstage at TVs, there's signage, you know, uh, seamstress fences office, this, that, and the other thing. And we're walking into like a part of building where I'm seeing less and less signs. I'm like, <laughs> no <laughs> shit. <laughs> if we walk into a room and there's plastic on the floor. I am fucking running. I'm getting like Dexter situation. Yeah. Or Joe Pesci when he thinks he's going to be made and he walks in the room, there's nobody in there and they pop him in the back. Of the yes. Head. Yep. You know, so I walk in the room backwards, you know, I back in, <laughs> you know, just John uh, shuts the door behind him and locks it. And I'm like, it's like a, this, uh, like a ballroom or whatever, a meeting, wherever they would have like a meeting or whatever. We could fight or we could talk. I was like, well, of course I want to talk. I, didn't want, I never wanted to fight you in the first place, John. And the truth be told, I was, I was a fan of, you know, JBL, you know, you know, I, I loved when he was, the, you know, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, you know, he, he reminded me of Hanson, you know, I was a big Stan Hanson fan. So I was like, Hey man, I, I laid out everything that, you know, went down between 98 and 2000 and to his crazy, like, oh, I don't really remember any of that. But, and that, like I said, the attitude era was a really intense time, you know, just pressure upon pressure upon pressure. And uh, he's like, well, we can fire. We go out there and make money. I was like, I, I, let's. Well, no, he goes, let's go out there and make money off this. So we took an ugly situation, which was a shoot, and turned it into a working situation. And, um, you know, uh, a couple of years go by, and I'm on Twitter, and somebody goes, am I, are my eyes deceiving me? Or is JBL following Blue Meanie on Twitter? He's like, yeah, I love Meanie, blah, blah, blah. And, um, now we're friends and I've, I've been on this podcast and that was 19, that was in 2005. And to this day, people don't seem to realize that we've squashed our beef and we're friends and people still like to bring up the fact that he punched me in the face to, they try to say to make my day miserable, uh, and whatever, but you know, John and I are friends. I, it seems like the only people who haven't gotten over it is everybody else, you know? Me and, John, me and John are off living our lives and people still want to fuel the fire. You know, like I, I posted something last week and something happened to me and 
people in the comments posting photos of JB. I'm like, okay, all right, well, what's that that even fucking mean? We're friends now. It's like, dude, here, give me your, uh, give me your address. I'll go on Amazon and buy you a calendar for 2022. Yeah, it's funny though, like Bradshaw. If you ever watched him and Ron Simmons against, let's say, uh, Credible and uh, PJ's my buddy, so he always jokes around with me about it, like him, uh, JBL and, and Ron Simmons used to beat the hell out of him and X-Pac. And then if you look at the matches with like Public Enemy, I mean, it's not like I don't think they were singling you out. I think they just stiffed the shit out of everybody. <laughs> well, that Public Enemy thing was. Well, pretty- there's more to it than that. Yeah, but yeah, that was pretty on purpose. I was there for that one. And yeah. They cut. They tried to finish. Well, I was just saying, you're not the only one that that he, that he yeah. may have yeah. beat the crap out of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of house show matches where I was like, Jesus Christ! I thought the house show matches were were supposed to, you know, take it easy on the house shows. You know, TV you want to kind of lay it in because right. cameras are right there. You know, you, you can't have can't have too much daylight. You know, with those cameras, you know, right there. You know, all right, lay in a little bit. House show loop. I'm like, gee, oh. I owe you money. What the fuck? You know, just, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, look, there's other people who have, there's other people who have issues with John and that's for them to work it out. But as far as me and John goes, I was honest with him and he was honest with me back. He apologized and I could be one of those guys to just be a bitter guy. Oh, well, and you, you hear people tell the same stories for 20 years, how they were wronged and this, that, and the other thing. And they might have a beef with it, but, or they might have a grudge, but when you hold a grudge for so long, the grudge you're holding doesn't hurt the person you have a grudge against. They're off living their life. When you hold a grudge, there's more to, more to you. It eats away at you. It takes away something. Every day, it takes a little bit more out of you takes out your your soul your persona everything but if you're willing to sit there and talk to somebody and work through the problem and come to an understanding of the problem and then eventually realize okay we're good that's the the best thing in the world is you know hearing i'm sorry and then moving forward with it you know you know hell if if Brett Hart and Shawn Michaels could get along with yeah. each other. Yeah. I think me and John yeah. work yeah. out our problems yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, he's, 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 John's a different guy now too. He's, he's very, I mean, he's always, you know, cracking jokes and a funny guy, but just, we had our issue and uh, it got resolved. An unfortunate incident happened on live TV where we got to a fist fight. But is this the first shoot situation now? You know, just, uh, you know, there's, you know, all, there's plenty of stories, you know, whether it's Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle having an issue in the locker room and Eddie Guerrero leg diving an Olympic gold medalist. And, you know, they had their, their fights, you know, everybody has their fights, you know, it's a, it's a business where, you know, stakes are high, especially when you're dealing with TV and stuff like that. So, it's 2022. We're, we're friends. Uh, I've been on this podcast, uh, with him and, uh, Jerry Briscoe and, you know, uh, life's good. You know, life's good now. As we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish. Any regrets in the business? Anything you wish you would have done differently or, or changed? 
I had an opportunity to go to WCW and I fucked it up. Uh, really? When was that? As soon as WWE, uh, Bruce Pritcher called to give me my release over the phone. He offered to call WCW. He offered to call JJ Dillon, see if there's any interest. He offered to do that. He didn't have to. Right. I was like, uh, I think I'll go to, I think I'll go back to ECW. You know, just, uh, I wish I, I, a, it would have been cool to work for WCW, different experience, different company, you know, different, still, you know, make decent money. But, you know, I also look back, I go, well, ECW and WCW is like trying to pick a ticket. You know, do I want to go in the Hinderberg or the, uh, the Titanic? <laughs> right. Yeah. So they're both going down. So yeah, yeah. I go there for a couple months and still be out of a job. So I kind of wish I went to WCW just to, you know, a for the experience, he'd say I did it. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, also had people, you know, pulling for me behind the scenes at WCW. You're like, Hey, uh, hold on. Let me. Let me uh, see what I could do, and eventually I just went back to Paul as a, a different character. Yeah, I'd lost at that point. I'd lost 160 pounds. WWE, oh. WWE asked me to lose weight, and then uh, Paul Bearer and a few of the guys, Kevin Kelly, Paul Bearer, and Jerry Briscoe, <clears throat> they were all with uh, dealing with uh, Headbanger Chaz's brother John, who was a nutritionist. And Paul Barrett was losing tons of weight. And so I went to see him between the supplements and the meal plan and the exercise. I lost 160 pounds in a couple months. And uh, by the time I got down to, I went from 390 to 240. And wow. uh, WWE released me. Now, the best thing the best thing in my life I did and losing all the weight should have been the best thing, but it wound up being a curse. Because the last time somebody saw me on TV, I was... The old meanie. That was the, the fat meanie. Yep. Well, actually, if you watch some of my last matches, I was in the process of losing weight. You know, you can kind of see the, the weight coming off. And, uh, but that's, that's the thing. People remember what they see on TV. So I get let go by WWE. And I go start doing indies and people are like, that's not the real blue meanie. So I was like, fuck. And right. then, uh, they're used to that. Yep. And here's another situation where just, you know, people in general suck uh, because <clears throat> the same people who told me all my life, and do you ever think about losing weight? Man, you should really lose weight. Hey, think about your health and lose weight. Those same people turned to me after I lost 160 pounds and went, man, you don't look right. Are you sick? Do you have cancer? <laughs> oh, man. No, yeah. I'm not even being fine. The people would legit go, you said, oh man, you should probably put some of that weight back on motherfucker. I can't please any of you motherfuckers. Right. Either way. Yeah. Fuck all of you. And that's, you know, I went to, I went to ECW. I was doing the, the blue boy gimmick. And, um, after that, you know, ECW closed. And I was like, and that's where, you know, my damn world spiral into the depression happened to be quite honest i've you know i was just trying to find my way and then like i said unfortunately you know shitty situation happened with one i stand which actually turned out to be 
a blessing in disguise because I found out who really, who my real friends were, who cared about me. Dude, that, that was a brutal time. You know, I had people in this year going, man, you should really sue WWE. And I got people over here. Ah, you should go to New York and file a criminal complaint. I got people over here. Oh man, what are you a pussy? Yeah. You know, yeah. just, I, I was getting pulled in all these different directions, but then, you know, eventually I, I, I fucking play out through that, found out who my real friends were. I just focused on that. And then, you know, yeah, you know, I, I started keeping my, my circle started getting smaller and smaller and smaller of people who I let into my life. So I'm in a good place now. Me and Mrs. Meany are, uh, doing good. I got the podcast. I'm still doing appearances. I'm yeah, uh, you're popping up everywhere. AEW, MLW, NWA. I mean, you pop up everywhere. I think I got my, my AEW shirt right there. It's a, a one of a one. Mrs. Meany made that for me on her, uh, vinyl cutter. Cause I, I, I tried, I was like, uh, I, you know, they're like, Hey Fabe. I was like, all right. I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. You know, uh, Mrs. Meany gave me a disguise to wear, to sneak into the building. I was like, I've never been to the Lee Course Center. How do I fucking get in? I go on MapQuest and I'm looking for the entrance. Oh, there it is. I take oh, it over by Temple. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. I took an Uber from my house, you know, full mask. I put a hat on, wear clothes I normally wouldn't wear. And uh, I get out of the Uber. I looking straight forward, don't look at anybody, walk right by security, right down the ramp. I was like, oh, shit, I should probably finish my Uber. And so I hop in the thing real quick, finish it out, tip the driver, and uh, Crowbar walks by me, who I'm working with that, that night. You know, I, I, had a, I, I knew I was doing something with Crowbar. Crowbar walks me. I go, I go, yo. And he turned around. He goes, I pulled down my mask and go, He's like, man, he... <laughs> yeah. and he didn't even realize it was me. So, um, that was pretty cool. You know, I like, you know, it was cool to work for AW, MLW, uh, so many different promotions. MLW is coming back to town soon, but, uh, you know, I'm fucking 49 years old now. I, I, I still feel young, but you know, I realized I got to start, you know, uh, in, making my bumps count, making my bookings count. So, you know, I'm, I'm still doing stuff, but I'm just being a little bit more wise about it. So where can everybody follow you? Where can everybody find you on social media and otherwise? If you would like to follow me on social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, one TikTok, which I really don't understand, at Blue Mini BWO. Uh, you can follow me there, uh, at Blue Mini BWO. If uh, you would like to support the Blue Mini, Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Blue Meanie. Uh, if you want to support my podcast, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Mind of the Meanie. We got plenty, a lot of cool logo shirts, and a lot of inside uh, joke. If you listen to the show, you know, you know. Uh, you can uh, listen to Mind of the Meanie wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, you can go to YouTube.com slash Mind of the Meanie and listen to uh, the audio version of it. Uh, and, uh, that's it. You know, just, uh, I'm on cameo, cameo.com slash blue mini BWO. I'm, uh, all over the place. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's cool. You know, and to, Oh, I, I got action figures coming out through Chella toys. Uh, oh blue, yeah. Those look awesome. The blue mini, uh, bone, bone crushing series. 
and uh, they're coming out uh, with a series of uh, BWO uh, figures uh, individually. There, it's not like a three pack. We did a, a two pack with my podcast, Mind and Me, with me and Josh Chernoff, uh, my former co-host, who's gone on to do great things with Fight Fight TV. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he kind of like handpicked the guy I'm with now, Adam Bernard. Adam Bernard does a great job uh you know with co-hosting and stuff like that but uh we did a two-pack with that and the packaging was a little bit cumbersome to, to ship but there's a uh, three-pack blue mini uh, i mean uh bwo me stevie and nova and our, our bwo gear coming out through uh cello toys so it got, got like, it's pretty cool that you know you know after i left wwe i was like where's your action figure i was like mm. so uh figure story company was kind enough to give me my first action figure and then they gave me a, a second figure with a repaint uh press and tees came had a, like a micro brawler which i still consider an action figure but now with cella you know i got you know a couple great action figures coming out you know so press on tees got cameo got action figures uh uh retro mania pro wrestling i have a little i have a full-blown cabinet from uh i arcade I arcade did a, a retromania wrestling video game cabinet and that's going really well too with uh it was cool to be in a, a in a video game in 2000 you know 2020 the game came out and just be a part of a video game it's amazing you know the because that's an ultimate sign of trust you know yes when people are investing their money and they you know, go hey who can we get on here that we think is going to sell a product totally the fact is the fact that my name's even brought up is flattering. So, you know, um, it's very cool. 2022 still doing stuff where in the, in the world, there's thousands and thousands of wrestlers, a lot of forgotten. And there's, there's people out there who are way more talented. Than I am who never really got an opportunity that I go, man, that guy should have got a fucking chance and it's never happened. But the fact that somebody gave me a chance and I got to do something with it, it's very fortunate lucky lucky guy but meanie thank you so much for all the time it's been awesome to uh to chat with you today appreciate all the time ah uh, thanks for having me man uh, here's to the next time hope all's well this has been a john pause power trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling you could follow us on instagram and twitter at two-man power trip you could check us out on facebook you could subscribe on youtube you can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>